Welcome to Creation, Teaching Truth with Confidence, a biblical training program for teens and above. Now let's join Mike as he teaches about how to respond to biblical arguments used to support millions of years. Our subject is responding to biblical arguments used to support millions of years. And in this lesson three, we're only going to have one topic, and that is the gap theory. So let's start by looking at our objectives for this lesson. Number one, state the four components of the Berean Plus test. State two biblical problems with the gap theory. Three, state why Genesis 1-1 and 1-2 cannot be separated by a long gap of time. And fourth, state what the word replenish meant when the King James Bible was written in 1611. So let's start with what is the gap theory? Well, it's a method of adding millions of years into Scripture. In other words, the gap theorists, rather than making the days of creation long periods of time, they said they wanted to keep with a literal six-day creation. So what they did instead was insert the millions of years in between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. In other words, between the first two verses of the Bible, they insert a large gap of time, millions of years. Now, let's talk a little bit about what was happening during that gap. It starts with Genesis 1-1, where we have what's called the original creation. Then in Genesis 1-2, we have this large gap of time beginning where Satan's rebellion and destruction of the original creation takes place. In other words, during that rebellion, judgment took place, which destroyed all of life and produced our geologic formations we have mostly today and the fossil record as we see it today. Then in Genesis 1-3, God begins a recreation of all things. So that's what our gap theory has to say. Now, why did they need to have the gap theory? What was the reason for the gap theory? Well, some theologians were under the impression that the earth had been proven to be billions of years old. So it was a method of reconciling the secular teaching of long ages by some geologists at the time with the Bible. In other words, they wanted to maintain their six-day creation. Now, not all gap theorists agree with all the details, but the general principle is there was a large gap of time between the first two verses of Genesis. So let's examine the gap theory by going to Acts chapter 17, verses 10-11, where we talk about the Bereans. And it reads this, Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Now notice the underlying words there. These were fair-minded people. What does that mean? They were noble people. They were of high rank. They were important people. But what does the word search mean there? It means to scrutinize, to investigate, or to interrogate. In other words, they practiced 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show ourselves approved, rightly handling the word of God. And that's what the Bereans were doing. They just didn't take this at face value. They used the scripture as their source and authority. So the gap theory, what we're going to do now is what I call the Brian Plus test. We're going to check to see, is this gap theory really valid? Does it mix in well with the scriptures? Now, the Brian Plus test has four components, and they are, number one, the theological test. Number two, the linguistic hermeneutic test. Number three, the consistency or logic test. And fourth, the science test. We're talking about science, observational science, not made-up science, not assumptions, but observational science. 
So let's go to our first test called the theological test. And we're going to go to Romans 5.12 to start this off. And it reads, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. What this verse is teaching is because of Adam's sin, he died. Now, this was just not spiritual death. This was both spiritual and physical death. How do we know that, Mike? Because in Genesis 3.22, it teaches that we, Adam could have lived forever. It says that if he could have stayed in the garden, eat from the tree of life, he could have lived forever. So Adam was not originally supposed to die. But because of his sin, death came in and it spread to all men all time. So we all die physically because of Adam's original sin. But notice, Romans 5.12 only talks about human death. What about the rest of creation? Well, for that, we go to Romans chapter 8, verse 20, where it reads, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it to hope. This verse teaches that all creation is under the curse. Not just humans, but all of creation is under the curse because of Adam's original sin. God cursed the entire creation. Now, the creation, the word for creation here means the original formation or act of creating. But the futility, what does that word mean? It means no practical use. Or creation in its entirety, none, no part of it fulfills God's original purpose anymore. Why? Because now it's all under the curse. So everything comes under the curse. So we have animal death, human death, and everything else is now cursed. Now let's go to take a look at a timeline. Let's put this all together, a timeline, and see what it means, the gap theory. So we have the original creation. According to the gap theory, there's this original creation. Then something goes wrong, and we have this large gap of time where Satan comes down and everything is destroyed. And during those millions of years, we have the fossil record taking place. We have the geologic record taking place. We have death, disease, and struggle. Then in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, we have the recreation in six little days. Well, that sounds interesting, but there's a very large theological problem with the gap theory here. Because what was happening during that large gap of time? Death. That's the fossil record. Fossil record is a record of dead things. In other words, the gap theory teaches death before sin. That is a very large theological problem there. Death before sin. That undermines the entire gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, Ed Heinsohn and Ergen Kanner make this statement in their book, The Popular Encyclopedia of Apologetics. If the Bible is incorrect concerning how and when sin and death entered the world, why should anyone believe what it says about how sin and death can be remedied through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Right there, they're saying again, if there was death and disease and struggle before sin, then what did Adam's sin have to do? What is the curse? There was already death. And if there was already death, then why did Jesus Christ have to come and conquer death on the cross through his resurrection? See, it's a large theological problem there. Now, here's another theological problem. We go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, where it states, because in Genesis 1.31, it states that God declared all that he had made or created was very good or perfect. Does this mean God called all the dead things from the gap very good? Here's where the theological problem comes in here. 
Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26, where God called death an enemy. Why would God call death very good in Genesis 1.31, but then in 1 Corinthians, he called it an enemy? Which one is it? See, there's a theological problem. Death is an intrusion to God's perfect creation. So why would he call it very good? The only explanation is there was no gap of time then where all the fossils were formed. So a question. If the gap theory is true, why does the Bible spend two chapters in Genesis teaching about the so-called recreation and nothing about the original creation before the gap? Why is that? There's absolutely no mention anywhere of an original creation than a recreation. Also, let's turn to the Genesis flood. That's going to be another theological problem we're going to have with the gap theory. See, if the gap of time between Genesis 1.1 and 1.2 is responsible for the present-day geologic formations and the fossil record, then what effects did the Genesis flood have? So to answer that, let's take a look at the description of the flood in Genesis chapter 7, verses 17 through 19, where it reads, Now the flood was on the earth forty days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters, and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. Now let's look at this. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights, and also for 150 days the springs of the deep were bursting forth, and the waters covered the highest hills and the mountains. Now what would a worldwide flood do? Well, first of all, bury billions of creatures. Bury, notice that, bury billions and billions of creatures. So the Genesis flood, if it buried billions of creatures, that would have destroyed everything the gap did, and the fossils are a result of the Genesis flood. Also, the Genesis flood, there would be great geologic upheaval. We'd have sedimentation, mountains and canyons being formed all, all over. So the geologic record would not be due to the gap theory, because the Genesis flood was a worldwide flood, would have destroyed everything in the gap. And what we see today in geology would be a result of the worldwide flood. So the Bible teaches a worldwide flood, but if the gap theory is correct, correct, then those verses we just read in Genesis 7 have to be false. We have to reinterpret that. For the gap theory to be true, the Genesis flood would have to be a local flood that had no effect on the fossil record that was created in the gap theory and no effect on the geologic formations that came about from the gap theory. Also, why would the Bible spend over two chapters talking about the Genesis flood and nothing about what happened in the gap? So we have tremendous theologic problems here. Another problem is, comes from Mark 10, verse 6, where Jesus Christ makes this statement. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Notice Jesus said, beginning of the creation. He did not mention a recreation. He said, the creation. Was Jesus wrong here? Did he not understand there was an original creation, then a recreation? So now let's go to two questions on this. Why did God take so long as millions of years, which is the supposed length of the gap, before he recreated everything? In the end, how long will it take God to make everything new? When we look at time here, the Genesis flood just lasted just over a year. When Jesus healed, he healed immediately. It didn't take a long period of time. When Jesus turned water into wine, that didn't take long at all. That happened immediately. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, 
It says we're going to have a new heaven and earth. Is that also going to take millions of years to do? See, there are some serious theologic problems with the gap theory. Now let's go to our test number two in the Brian Plus test. And it is the linguistic hermeneutic test. And we're going to see the gap theory has problems linguistically. And what we want to cover here in this Berean Plus test is three particular words. We'll examine the meaning of three words commonly used to support the gap theory. The word replenish in Genesis 1.28, what does it mean? The conjunction and, Genesis 1.2, and the verb was in Genesis 1.2. Those three we're going to look at. So let's start with the word replenish in Genesis 1.28 where it reads, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth. Now, replenish is found in the King James Bible. And the King James Bible is not wrong what it says here. It's a correct word, but you need to understand something. Replenish, now, let's take a look at that word. Replenish gives the idea today that something went wrong with the original creation, and God had to refill it. That's where the gap theorists come in where they use this word replenish as support that something went wrong and God had to refill it. But also notice it says this, replenish the earth. It's only saying the earth needs to be fixed. It says nothing about the stars, the sun, and the moon, all that out there. But you know, there's a theological problem. Because on day four, in this so-called recreation, God made the sun, moon, and stars. So were they affected by the gap or not? Now, let's take a look at words and their meaning here. Today, the word used for replenish, which is in the Hebrew, male, means to refill. However, when the King James Bible was written, the 1611 version, the word meant to fill, not refill. The word has undergone a definition change, as many words do today. For example, if I walked into your house 50 years ago and said, whoa, there's a mouse on the floor there. You might think I'm talking about a hairy little rodent running around. But no, today I'm talking about a computer component. So words, definition changes. Sometimes definitions are added to words. How about this one? 50 years ago, if I walked up to you and said to you, do you Twitter? You might slug me one. But today, no, why? Because today the word Twitter is a form of communications in computers. Words have definitions added or changed all the time. And when the King James Bible was written, the word replenish did not mean refill. That's that's a change. It originally meant to fill. Charles Taylor, who has his doctorate in linguistics, makes this statement. An examination of the Oxford English Dictionary shows that the word was used to mean fill from the 13th to the 17th centuries. In no case quoted in these five centuries does ambiguously mean refill. So right there, we have a misuse of the language by gap theorists to support their idea. Let's not change God's word. We need to do our homework and study to show ourselves approved. Now let's go to our second word here, the conjunction and. See, gap theorists assume the language allows for a large gap of time between the first two verses. And we have to look at, does this conjunction and allow us to separate those first two verses in time? This is a critical word for the gap theorists. If that conjunction and does not allow for a gap of time, those two verses have to come together, 
then the whole gap theory is dead right here. We don't have to go any further, really. So the word and is a critical issue for the gap theorists. So let's look at that conjunction and. The word and comes from the Hebrew letter vav, W-A-W, starts with a V sound, or sometimes you see it spelled V-A-V, which corresponds to our English letter W. In most Bible translations, it is prefixed to a Hebrew word, such as a noun or a verb. In other words, if you look there, it says, and the earth. Notice the voa or and is not a separate word there. It's a letter that's attached to the noun earth. So it all comes together. Now, let's look at this voa. Now, the and or voa comes in at least two different form, forms here. One is called the voa consecutive. What does that mean? That expresses a sequence of time or continuation of a new thought. Then we have the voile disjunctive, which is an explanatory thought for the previous phrase. In other words, connects two actions together by adding more detailed information to the previous statement. Now, how can we tell the difference? Again, we need to examine the words and how they're used. In other words, it's called context. And we look at the context, we notice the voile is attached to the noun earth. And it says, and the earth, so it's attached to the earth. When the and conjunction is attached to a noun, it is a voile disjunctive. This means the two verses are connected together and no gap is allowed. Now, the voile disjunctive comes in about three, at least three different flavors here. We'll call them flavors. One, it can be a shift in narrative, but not in time can do that. We see that in Genesis 2.25 through verses 3.1. And explain what is happening simultaneous with the previous verse. We see that in Genesis 37 verses 35 and 36. Or it can provide more detailed information for the previous verse. And we see that in Genesis 1.2. In other words, if we were to look at this, we see that in the beginning God created in heaven and earth and the earth was without form. In other words, verse 2 is adding more detailed information to verse 1. In the beginning, again, God created heaven and the earth. Oh, oh, by the way, in the beginning, creation was not yet complete there. It was, it's still without form and it's void. In other words, he's still got five more days to complete his creation. So what we're saying there is verse 2 simply adds more information. It does not connotate a large gap of time. The language does not allow it. Now, let's go to our third word, our last word we're going to examine, and that's the verb was. In Genesis 1-2, we see the verb was. Now, gap theorists insist this term means became and not was. Now, most versions of the Bible, we read, and the earth was without form and void. Now, the gap theorists take that verb was, or in the Hebrew, hayah, and change it to became. And it should read, they say, and the earth became without form, and void. There was a certain that creation became a desolate waste and was without form and void. Therefore, a recreation was necessary. Well, let's put a picture format here. Let's take a look at these two different views. The gap theorists say the earth became without form and void. In other words, we have creation is finished. Then comes the problem. Satan comes down and everything is destroyed. And then in verse 1, 3, a recreation has to take place. So without form and void, they're saying that's what happened. It started good. It was perfect. Then it became without form and void through all Satan's destruction and judgment. Then it was recreated. But there's another way to look at this. Let's put the word was in there. The earth was without form and void. What that means is there was a creation. 
In the beginning, God created heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. In other words, remember that word and? It says those two verses come together. Verse 2 adds more detailed information to verse 1, and what it's saying again is, the creation's not yet complete. It's not yet complete. Why? Because he's only had day one. We still have five more days to complete everything. And then he calls it very good. Says nothing about a recreation. See, the verb there can just mean, without form and void, can just mean it's not yet finished. And that is the true translation here. Now, that verb was, haya. if we take a look at the different versions of the Bible, what we'll see is this. Every major version of the Bible, the King James, the New King James, the NESB, the ESV, the NIV, the RSV, translate the verb was, not became. The only place we see became is in footnotes. How could all these Bible scholars for all these centuries be wrong? Maybe they're not wrong, and the gap theory is not true. Charles Taylor, who has his PhD in linguistics, makes this statement in his book, The First 100 Words. It's true that the word sometimes means became, but such a translation is rare, and B, when it means became, it is normally preceded by a preposition meaning to. And in this case, in Genesis, it is not preceded by a preposition. The correct translation is was. Now let's go to Justin Rogers, who has his doctorate in the Hebrew language, and he says this. It is recognized universally that the Hebrew verb translated was refers to the time when God began his work of creation. Was does not mean that the earth remained in this shapeless state for a long time, nor does it mean that it became such after being sometime something else earlier. That comes from a quote from Rayburn and Fry in their handbook on Genesis. And then Justin Rogers continues his quote with this. This point is recognized in virtually every decent translation of the Hebrew text since the Septuagint. Now, what is the Septuagint? Well, that was created in about the 3rd century B.C. It was a translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek. And then he concludes with this in his quote. Gap theorists must find a different justification for their theory. In other words, we've gone through three words here. We went through the word replenish, the conjunction and, and we went through the verb was. And what we find is the gap theorists in all three cases are misusing the words, misusing the language to support their claim. Now let's go to the third test, the linguistic hermeneutic test. Some theologians were under the impression that geologists had proven the earth to be millions of years old. In order to reconcile this belief, theologians needed a method to reconcile scripture with secular science or the alleged millions of years. Let's take a look at this. Secular science, what do we see? Millions and billions of years, but the Bible clearly teaches a literal six-day creation about 6,000 years ago. So the question is, which one's right and which one's wrong? They both can't be right. That's a logical contradiction. Now, what we need to do here is look at our starting point. Most, if not all, the differences and interpretations come from our starting point. Some people use the Bible as their authority. Some people use their understanding of science as their authority. Let's take a look at some quotes here. Dr. U. Ross, Ph.D. in astronomy, president and founder of Reasons to Believe, makes this statement. Based on scientific dating records, each of God's creation days is several hundred million years long. Now, what's his starting point? On this issue, folks, his starting point is not the Bible. The Bible is not his authority. What is his authority? 
His three pounds up here, his own wisdom, he's putting above the plain reading of God's Word. He's using his understanding of science. Now remember, his understanding of science. True science never contradicts God's Word because God created all the scientific principles. He's not in a battle with himself, folks. He doesn't contradict himself. But this man's understanding of science is his authority. Now let's look at another group here called Biologos, a group of scientists, and they make this statement. So are the days of Genesis 1 meant to be understood as regular 24-hour days? Yes and no. The frequent references to ancient cosmology in Genesis 1 indicate that God did not choose to reveal modern scientific information to the ancient Hebrews. Their starting point is not the Bible. Their authority is themselves on this issue, their understanding of science. And now let's look at a third one from Josh McDowell in his book, Answers, Five Tough Questions. In my opinion, the age of the universe, the earth, and mankind is not specifically limited or determined by Scripture. The important thing is that no biblical interpretation should not deny the evidence of science. What is Josh McDowell's starting point here, folks? It is not the Bible. He has elevated his own personal wisdom above God's Word here. We have a serious issue in the community, in Christianity, with people elevating themselves, their understanding of science, above God's Word. Now, the consistency slash logic test. If many theologians and apologists use science as their starting point to interpret the age of the earth, then, to be consistent, they should use the same method to interpret other parts of scriptures. Let's take a look at this. For example, since animals don't talk or have the capability of speech like humans, did a donkey really talk in Numbers chapter 22? You see, if we're using science, then that donkey never really talked. It's just a story. How about, was there really a worldwide flood? Well, the scientific community, uh, the secular scientific community, says no. Did people instantly have the capability to speak different languages, the Tower of Babel? Well, if you're using science, you're understanding a science then that couldn't have happened either. That's just a story. Did God really part the Red Sea? Well, how about did Jesus really walk on water? We can't walk on water without aid of some other materials. Maybe he really didn't walk on water. So we have to re-explain that based on our understanding of science. Did Jesus really heal people instantly? Well, according to our understanding of science, that doesn't happen. It takes days or weeks or more to be healed. Did Jesus really turn water into wine instantly? Well, you can't do that scientifically, so we've got to do away with that miracle. Did Jesus really feed 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish? Well, that's not scientifically possible. Let's get rid of that one. Can someone be dead for three days and come back to life? Now we've got to do away with the resurrection if we're using our knowledge of science. And finally, did Jesus really defy gravity when he ascended to heaven? You see the problem here, folks? Why is it many theologians question the validity of a literal six-day creation and not all the other biblical miracles? Here's the problem. Many Christian leaders are picking and choosing what to believe about the Bible. The result is they are teaching Christian youth they too can pick and choose. This type of teaching has filtered down to have a major impact on the next generation. For example, today over 80% of our Christian youth have doubts about the Bible. Over 60% are leaving the church before finishing school, and less than 4% have a biblical worldview. See, if we call ourselves Christians, the Bible has to be our authority in all matters, not just some of them. 
We need to have consistency, and we need to teach that consistency to our next generation. By not doing so, we've caused many to have doubts about God's Word. And now, let's go to our fourth test, the science test, observational evidence. Let's take a look at what we know. Well, first of all, no one observed the Big Bang. No one has observed the origin of a new star. No one observed the origin of life. No one has observed one creature evolve into a new creature. And all radiometric dating methods are based on unprovable assumptions. Let's look at some things we do know. We have God's word that he created all things in six days. We have God's word how he created everything. He's spoken into existence by his great power. We observe that each kind produces after its kind. That's observable science right there. We have observed large canyons form rapidly. We don't need long ages. And we have observed coal, oil, stalactites, and diamonds form rapidly. Fossilization, we know, can happen rapidly. We don't need long ages. We find carbon-14 in diamonds and coal and dinosaurs and fossils and other supposed ancient fossils, which all support the idea they're not millions of years old, but only thousands of years old. We have observed large amounts of sedimentation occur rapidly. And incidentally, there are many scientists and biblical scholars who believe in a literal six-day creation. See, here's the problem. People are always pitting science against the Bible. Folks, the battle is not between science and the Bible. True science and the Bible agree with each other. Who created all the scientific principles? God did. He's not in a battle with himself. You see, the Bible and science agree. The battle is between the Bible and something called evolutionism. And it's also between true science and evolutionism. The consistency test is, again, not between the Bible and science. It is between the Bible and evolution. It is when people put their ideas of evolution, which includes millions of years, into Scripture, there is a conflict. Too many church leaders have a low opinion of Scripture when it comes to creation and end up with inconsistencies in their teaching. So now, the Berean Plus test. We've looked at four issues there, four tests. The theological test, the linguistic hermeneutic test, the consistency slash logic test, and the science test, meaning observational science. In all four of those tests, the gap theory fails. All four of those clearly refute the gap theory. So now let's finish by going through our lesson review and a little quiz. Gap theory. We started with the Berean plus test. We had the theological test, which included death before sin. We talked about that as an issue. There's no mention anywhere of a recreation. Genesis 1.31, God called his creation very good, and the gap theory would include dead things as very good. The Genesis flood would have had to been a local flood if the gap theory is true. And Jesus Christ would have been wrong in Mark 10, verse 6, when he said, but from the beginning of the creation, God made the male and female. He did not say recreation. The second part of our test was the linguistic hermeneutic test. We looked at the words replenish, which did not mean refill. It meant to fill. The word and means those two verses could not be separated in time. The word was is the true translation, not became. We had a consistency and logic test. If we use science as our starting point, we need to use it throughout the Bible to be consistent. And finally, we did the science test. Using unobserved science to interpret Scripture is not the right way. We use God's Word as our authority. And our conclusion, the gap theory failed on all four tests. So let's go to our final review quiz now and see how much we remember. Question number one. State the four components of the Berean plus test. Well, number one, the theology test. Number two, 
the linguistic hermeneutic test. Number three, the consistency slash logic test. And four, the science observational evidence test. Question number two, see how much we remember. State two biblical problems with the gap theory. Well, there were more than two. Let's take a look at a series of problems. You only have to remember two of them. One, there was death before sin, if the gap theory is true. Number two, God called death and disease and struggle very good in Genesis 1.31, if the gap theory is true. The words of Jesus in Mark 10, verse 6 would be wrong if the gap theory is true. And there's no mention anywhere in the Bible of a recreation. Now let's go to question number three. State why Genesis 1.1 and 1.2 cannot be separated by a long gap of time. Fill in the blank here. The conjunction and is written in the voir disjunctive form, which means verse 1-2 is adding more detailed information to the previous verse. And finally, our last question, number four. When the King James Bible was written in 1611, what did the word replenish mean? Well, in 1611, the word replenish meant to fill, not refill. Since then, the word has undergone a definition change, and today it means to refill. And that concludes lesson three. Now, our next lesson, lesson four, we're going to cover three different topics. First, Genesis is not meant to be taken literally, meaning maybe the Hebrew language in Genesis is just poetry, not narrative. Second, problems with progressive creationism. And third, we're going to answer this question. That's just your interpretation or opinion about the six days of creation.